Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin R. Harrison. I'm your other host, Adam Pranica. And welcome to all our new listeners who are probably cruising through our listings looking for the episodes that they remember and recognize. This is probably the first (laughs) one that a lot of people are going to listen to, right? Oh no, that's so much pressure. (laughs) I know, right? Well, first of all, they're not listeners, they're viewers, and they should get to know that very early and very often. (laughs) Well put. We make a lot of vocal mistakes on this show, and that is one that has stuck. (laughs) We make mistakes and then we stick to them, and they become canon. Yeah, we stick to our guns. Ben, I'm back in in palatial Cat Pee Studios after almost (laughs) three weeks in Victorville, California. The good news about Victorville is that uh, they have many low-cost hotel options and just about nothing to do except drink. So (laughs) uh, I was there for work, but as a side benefit, I was down there scouting for locations for Greatest Gen Con 2017. Yeah, did you... uh, Now, I know that you checked out two different hotels. Oh, I did. One of which... I creepily discovered was La Quinta because I was trying to use that app on my phone that tells you where your wife is. Uh-huh. And <laughs> for some reason, we have our locations shared. For some reason, it told you where my wife was. <laughs> <laughs> no, it showed me where you were. I think we have our locations shared with each other. Oh, you know, it's like that, that find, find My Friends app. Yeah. Oh, we left that on? Yeah, and it was it was like the only hit I was getting was Adam Pranica. And I was like, oh, I wonder where Adam Pranica is right now. And it was like La Quinta Inn right next to the highway. <laughs> you use that word hotel. I'm not sure that word means what you think it means. <laughs> and I'm not sure the uh, the people of Victorville are, are aware of its true definition either. Yeah, I think that's pretty generous to call either of the places I stayed uh, hotels, which is to say that they are perfect candidates for Greatest Gen Con 2017. <laughs> yeah. The places, places where if you if you do that thing that people do in movies where you actually, like, jump up in the air a little bit so that you come down on the bed, like, all at once, the bed disassembles and it's actually just <laughs> bed bugs that scatter to the, to the four corners of the earth. There is only one rule that I have about business travel. Have I told you this? Fists with your toes. One rule and one more rule only... And that is never look under your hotel room bed. I know, I know. It sounds crazy. Trust me. I've been doing it for nine years. If a shoe accidentally rolls under the bed, the shoe's that gone. That shit is me. gone. Yeah. <laughs> Not reaching One in. rule only. <laughs> yeah. Well, I recorded the last episode from one of those hotel rooms. I'm not sure if yes. anyone, any of our viewers was able to detect that. But it was a real shit show. Very loud room. Yeah, hotel rooms are not necessarily great for audio recording purposes. You would have really liked my shock mount setup where I, I stuck my microphone into a shoe and put it on a desk. <laughs> was this a, a remaining shoe? The other one yeah. is gone to yeah. the world. <laughs> That's what happens. You lose one shoe, the other one becomes a shock mount. It's great. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think people are probably pretty eager for us to get into this situation here. They're so. done with our Marin preamble? Yeah. All right. Enough marining. All right, let's do it then. Let's start Season 3, Episode 26, The Best of Both Worlds, Part 1. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. The episode starts with, like, a super score-forward, synthy ominousness from Ron Jones. Like, it's a total tone-setter straight away, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's more tense than your average cold open where Troy's going to suggest that Captain Picard go on vacation. (laughs) Uh, You know, you can tell some shit is about to go down. And the beginning of the episode is Riker assembling a very elite Dustbuster club and getting ready to beam down to an outpost that they've been getting distress signal from. And as they're assembling in the transporter room, uh, O'Brien is saying that there's like nothing on the scans. Like they cannot detect this outpost down there at all. And 
Everything okay over there, buddy? Yeah, I just popped a bottle. <laughs> You're doing great. Okay. Uh, yeah, so they, they're not detecting any signals from the colony, and there's no reason to think that there's anything dangerous down there, but uh, shit is not what... Uh, what they were they're not finding what they expected to find and it's not a fun looking planet either it's got real lv426 vibes from orbit yeah but when they beam down i mean it looks like it was probably fine except for they're in the middle of like a fucking huge crater and that huge crater is on the edge of another even huger crater (laughs) and they're like they're like, chief, what gives? Like, we wanted to be beamed down into the middle of town. They thought it was another one of uh, Chief O'Brien's popular transporter tricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, come on, all right, chief, quit kidding around. Put it, put us down where you said you were going to. Chief O'Brien's wearing his body glove wetsuit, like with the top part unzipped and just folded at his waist. <laughs> yeah, one one nipple showing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so this is quickly revealed to be the Borgs. Oh, no! Looks like uh, two giant ice cream scoops just took massive scoops out of the surface of this planet, and there's just nothing left. They do the pan over before the opening theme, and you see the devastation from side to side. Yeah, and it's a matte painting, but it's a pretty cool effect. It's definitely like a big upgrade on what Anybody Canyon looks like. Yeah. And it's pretty wild, like, the edges of the crater have, like, the plumbing sticking out into it and stuff. Very fun. Like, they definitely, like, did this one right. Yeah. When we come back from the the main title theme, uh, another ship has shown up. I I don't think it's the hood, but it kind of looks like the same class of ship, maybe. And uh, we've got Admiral Hansen and Commander Shelby. And uh, they are from Starfleet Tactical. You might recognize Ad- Admiral Hansen as the guy who played God in Star Trek V. Did you know that? Oh, shit, really? Same guy. Oh, man. Classic. <laughs> they, they make kind of an odd couple, this Shelby and Admiral Hansen. Uh, mm-hmm. Shelby is played by Brian Dennehy's daughter, Elizabeth Dennehy. No way. Which is kind of awesome. And Hansen right away is a little bit creepy about her. Keep your eye on her, Jean-Luc. They have a little meeting with Picard in the ready room. Hanson and Shelby and Picard are talking things over about what happened on the planet surface. And uh, Shelby's dismissed, and that leaves Hanson and Picard to talk things out. Turns out they were, uh, they were close friends. They've been close friends for a long time. You seem rather taken with it, JP. Close enough to where Hanson feels comfortable saying, Just an old man's fantasies. Gross. He kind of like Ivanka Trumps her, right? <laughs> Gross, Admiral Hanson. Yeah, if she was if she wasn't my my uh, lieutenant commander, maybe I'd be dating her. Ugh, jeez. Yeah, I don't know if we're supposed to, but that is a great technique for making me hate a character. <laughs> and buckle up, Ben. I'm gonna use the entire episode to just get Hanson the entire time. I hate him so much. Okay, strapping in. <laughs> I've got a uh, six-point harness here in my <laughs> podcasting chair. So uh, yeah, I used to have the five-point. Now I've got the six-point. I've got the Hans device. I'm I'm ready to go. Yeah, you sound a little muffled, but uh, but you're coming in <laughs> clear enough. One, one of the other things that Hanson and Picard talk about is is Riker's career. This, yeah. this is something that Picard doesn't know about at the time. But Hanson's like, look, uh, people like Shelby. They're on the way up. She's kicking ass. She's a real go-getter. Right. She's kind of a type A, try-hard personality type. Yeah. And Hanson's like, look, she's the future of this federation. And I'm looking at Riker carousing around the Enterprise, staying in one right. place, turning down ship after ship. All the damage he did to the holodecks on the hood. I mean, like, it's starting <laughs> to be like a patchwork of fairly dubious things on his record. Yeah, Hanson's point is like, why don't we give him his own ship and just send him far away from the rest of us where he can't <laughs> hurt anyone? Yeah. And and Picard's yeah. like, well, Riker's career is his own choice. Like, I, I tend to stay out of that. And Hanson's like, well, maybe you better give him a kick in the butt because... Shelby's going to pass him by, and then where's he going to be? Like, he's going to stop getting these offers. Yeah. You turn down enough promotions, eventually the phone stops ringing. So here's the question. Hanson is real sweet on Shelby. 
And given his closeness with Picard, we can presume that he knows about Picard's sexual proclivities. (laughs) Why is he trying to palm her off on him? Maybe because he's an admiral and his interactions with the Enterprise are so numerous that it would mean greater contact with Shelby going forward if she were stationed on the Enterprise. Yeah. I don't know. Well, also maybe... um, you know, a, a lot of people who are very dominant in their kind of in their re- regular life uh, wind up being very submissive in the bedroom. It's like they kind of turn it around. So sure, yeah. Maybe maybe she and Picard are more compatible than I initially gave them credit for. Yeah, I could see that. Anyways. <laughs> You don't see it yet, but it's foreshadowed a bit that there is going to be a baked in tension between Riker and Shelby. Like yeah. the, the go-getter and and the stay putter are are set up to lock horns, which mm-hmm. they do almost immediately because the next thing that the crew needs to do is uh is go down the next morning and study these craters to see if they can confirm once and for all if if the Borg were involved in this attack yeah and so so just to like get it all straight shelby is kind of like the borg's czar (laughs) to uh to coin a term like she's she's like the federation's leading expert on the borgs despite the fact that she's never actually confronted them and the enterprise is the only ship that has yeah uh so so she's got a lot of chutzpah and and just before Riker and shelby head out and Admiral Hansen starts divulging all this weird sex stuff to Picard. Uh, Riker tries to invite Hansen to the, uh, to the regular poker night. And he's like, I can't do it, but Shelby can. She's kind of a card shark from what I hear. And so they wind up like playing poker. And it's, I think it's made clear that Shelby would rather be doing the away mission. Like she doesn't care that it's nighttime on the planet. She wants to be down there. And she even lets Riker know, like, uh, oh, yeah, like, when you're done being, command, you know, the first officer on this ship, I would like this job. And you're going to go be a captain on another ship, and I'll never have to deal with you. If I were, I'm sure you'd be the first to know. She threads the needle between being ambitious and being a jerk. Yeah. Well, and I guess, like, she's operating under the assumption that anybody that's being offered a command would be a fucking idiot not to take it. I feel like that's a safe assumption. Right. And everything we know about Riker is that all he wants to do is be captain of a starship. So uh, she's she's not necessarily completely off base in suggesting this. But she's less than tactful about it. Right. By assuming that what she knows is common knowledge... And when it's immediately clear to her that that's news to Riker. I'm sorry. I heard that you were leaving. That's a recipe for uh, an awkward moment. She also gives off like this weird like Midwestern beauty pageant vibe. Well, that's the Brian Dennehy genetics showing through, isn't it? Yeah, but like, I mean, it's not just the genetics. It's like how her hair is styled and stuff. And they definitely have this beautiful young woman interacting in this kind of high tension way with Riker and they never play it for sexual tension, which I thought, I thought was uh, an interesting choice given what Riker's role in the show so often is. Yeah. Nine out of 10 interactions between Riker and anyone else are of a sexual nature. Yeah. And he definitely takes her to his not fucked up uh, apartment, you know, the square apartment. (laughs) Yeah, this is the one where you can turn the black light on and it, everything is as it should be. No yeah. harm, no foul. <laughs> He's got one apartment that's staged for a realtor, and then the other one is his crash pad. Yeah, there's just junkies in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Spray paint on the walls. It is a guiding principle of a dark-beating face. Now, you can't find it within yourself. Just stand up, tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. Yeah, so this poker game is, we got Jordy, Data, Troy... Wesley, the boy, Riker, and Shelby, and uh, wasn't really quite sure. I mean, I guess like I guess the point of the scene was that Riker's bluffing and Shelby calls his bluff, and that's like a metaphor, man. <laughs> In case you haven't noticed, <laughs> yeah, she is really needling him. Yeah, it's sort of like 
if you had a scene in a movie where there was an opera taking place, but we see a lot of things happening backstage at the opera, but like the thing that's happening in the opera is like a metaphor for what's happening with the characters, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Pretty deep, so, man. It's pretty deep. <laughs> there are a couple of interactions between Riker and Shelby that are just straight up contentious. Yeah. And I kind of feel like this was the thing that sets Riker off the most. Like nothing is quite as offensive to Riker as someone calling his bluff. Yeah. Well, and like I'm I'm just like scrolling through the episode right now on my screen and I'm seeing like four or five scenes in the first 20 minutes where Riker and Shelby have an interaction. And every single one of those scenes ends with them like hating each other and disagreeing. It's like they really drive this point home. Yeah. And we can get into this a little bit later, but I remember best of both worlds one and two as being about Picard, but they're not, no, they're not at all. These are Riker episodes. They're totally Riker episodes. Yeah. Like the other like big scene he has early in the episode is where he like has a drink with Deanna and he's like, what am I still doing here? I used to be a go-getter and now I'm not. I just fucking take this guy's orders and I'm like super content where I am. And it's the opposite of why I got into this. What the hell is wrong with me? The cut before and then the cut to this scene is so great because the scene that happens before this is the one where Picard actually does the butt kicking to Riker. He's like, what the hell are you still doing on the Enterprise, man? I'm hearing you're turning down, captaining all these other ships. Yeah. What's the deal? And then they cut from that scene straight to 10 forward. Yeah. Where Riker asks the question that he was asked in the last scene to Deanna. And I thought that was was just a really nice edit. Yeah, it's a a little S cut where you get a little bit of the audio of him replying before they cut away from Picard's face. Yeah. So so it like really like shows you that that is like a single thought for Riker. Yeah. Uh really uh I I love uh I love it when an an edit like that is done really well and used very sparingly. Yeah. I think that that's that's something that's really easy to get carried away with and they never do with uh, the editing on this show. They don't get too stylish with it. And it, yeah. it rewards a careful viewer, I think. At least I, at this point in the series, it, it was a punishment for most viewers early on. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. His questions are totally sound. Like, he's he's been shown the mirror at this point, the mirror of his career. And he and he's asking advice of the only person who, who's known him long enough to really give him a straight answer. Yeah. And, and to her credit, she's like, are you happy? Then what's the big deal? Like, you like being around here. Yeah. But at the same time, Adam, this is a future where, like, you know, you know nobody has to have a job, you know? Right. So, like... So what's the point in having why, a job unless you're going to be ambitious about it? Well, I'm saying, I'm saying sort of the opposite. Like, if you are super ambitious and then you find the level that you're... Like, the Peter Principle need never show its face in sure. this world, right? Like, you, yeah. never get, you never get elevated above the level where you're actually effective and satisfied with your work. Yeah. Like what if Riker has found his calling? Like why, like why should anybody try to make him feel bad about that? And why should he ever have to move out of that position if he's excellent at it? Like, I would say the only downside of having Riker on the ship is all the fucking cum that's everywhere. But (laughs) well, the thing that happens to Riker in this scene happens to all of us, which is like, you go along and live your life and you think everything's fine until someone asks you, hey, are you happy? <laughs> yeah. And and for the first time in like years and years, you actually give that question some thought. Yeah. He's like, uh, he goes all Keanu on us. He goes, whoa. Yeah. He goes to 10 forward and eats a sandwich on a park bench. <laughs> really thinks about some shit. Yeah. Pretty intense. My, my, my love is a Kind of a lot of stuff has happened here in maybe the first 15 minutes of this episode, but it all serves to lay the foundation for what's coming. And yes. what's coming is this Borg ship, which they've picked up on the sensors. Yeah, there's like another colony that's uh, sending out a distress signal. And Hanson leaves Shelby on board, by the way. Hanson bugs out on yeah. his ship. And so like they get the, they get 
FaceTime from Hanson, and he's like, listen, there's another colony that's definitely under attack. Same same kind of circumstances. You guys better get over there. And they're not that far away. So, uh, like, I guess they're the only ship that's really close enough at this point. And so they they start rushing in that direction. And, you know, they know that the Borgs are no joke when it comes to fighting them. And that it's not possible to have a diplomatic conversation with the Borgs. Shelby's whole deal back at Starfleet was like after the first encounter, like she was put in a position to develop new weapons to fight them. Right. But but this meeting right now is way earlier than anyone expected. And so all of her great ideas haven't had time to actually be implemented. So she's on the ship with nothing but ideas like she has nothing to add to their strategy at this point. Yeah, I mean... Her ideas aren't bad. They're just untested and they don't have any, you know, it's not like she showed up with a bunch of equipment that's going to make this easier. Right. And so, and so the the strategy is basically the Enterprise is going to try and tie the Borgs up until the fleet can get together and try to, like, make a perimeter to keep them away from anything more important than a couple of outlying colonies. And... We should talk also about like what the Borgs are doing because they they're just like raising these settlements, which doesn't really map to like the behavior that we see in later Borg cosmology. You know, like they uh, they they're usually all about assimilating everything and not just like wiping everything out. And um, so I wonder if these are if this is like pebbles against the window at midnight. For the Borgs, like, oh, we'll just kill like 700,000 people here, 600,000 there. We'll, we'll wait till they, we have their attention. Because it becomes clear that what they want is Picard. Yeah, and that is creepy as fuck when they roll up on the Borg cube and Worf is like, Captain, you are being hailed. Right. And they aren't asking them to lower their shields and become assimilated they are asking them to transport captain picard to their ship right which has got to put a chill through picard at this point because what the hell do they want with you and it's a big surprise also just because like they're the borgs are an unstoppable force you know like they're not they don't typically really have like tactics or strategies they just they just come in and take everything that they want like the borgs are kind of like an early version of the gray goo idea i feel like where it just like turns everything into itself yeah so this engagement between the enterprise and the borg cube doesn't go great (laughs) Uh, they're pretty much getting their asses kicked much in the same fashion as they did the first time around they start cutting into the engineering section and (laughs) and they have to they have to evacuate engineering where the the big door starts coming down and Jordy has to wave everybody out and then take like a shoulder roll to get under it himself. He Indiana Jones is it a little bit, but it's a totally unnecessary Indiana Jones. Like, yeah, he's like, let me just he, wait for the garage door to be like one <laughs> foot lower than I actually needed to wait. I was expecting him to step over the garage door sensor so he doesn't trip <laughs> it and it goes back up. Yeah. Or like uh, his visor falls off in mid-roll and he has to reach under just in the nick of time and grab it. Yeah. That would have been fun. So they're they're getting the shit kicked out of him and Picard's like, all right, well, we got to bug out. Like, this is not working for us. Uh, <laughs> he, he, gives, he gives Wes some coordinates and they peel out and get out of there. And moments later, they end up uh, in the Paulston Nebula, which is a scene that looks very Wrath of Khan-like. They, they cruise into the nebula, and the Borg ship does not give chase inside. Instead, the ship waits outside. Yeah, it looks so Wrath of Khan-like. It is, in fact, the same nebula as Wrath of Khan, or at least the same like plate that they used. What's great about this idea and its implementation is that Picard tells no one that this might be a viable place to ditch. <laughs> yeah. Great plan, by the way. Yeah. I wish they would have shown like an exterior shot where it showed a nearby nebula. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, that, that makes sense. They could have just gone into that nebula. It's fucking great, though, because yeah. the Enterprise goes in and it's sort of a smoke show look. And they're kind of laying low while they 
fix up the ship from the damage that the Borgs did in the in the battle. The damage is pretty heavy. We lost a lot of good people down there. But the Borg have taken the bait, and they're like poking around trying to find the Enterprise, which is great because it's giving the rest of Starfleet a lot more time to work with getting ready their their uh, defense fleet. Right, as long as they're in there, uh, they can't hurt anyone else. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. There's a little bit of time for Riker to assemble the McLaughlin group. Issue one. Uh, and go over just what exactly they can do to this Borg ship, because uh, nothing that they've tried deploying on it has worked. Yeah, well, this ex- this McLaughlin group is headed up by Riker, and Picard's not in the room, but this, this happens before Picard is abducted. Hmm. And and that actually factors in in the next episode. Right. So so they sort of go around the table and they start talking about what they can do during their next interaction. And Wes is like, you know, sort of the most powerful thing we have on the ship is this deflector dish that isn't used as a weapon at any other point. But maybe right. we could turn it into a weapon. And by doing that, like it would just sort of shoot out all of the ship's energy at whatever it's aimed at. And as far as they know, nothing is going to survive something like that. Unfortunately, there is one slight detail. In the process, the blast completely destroys the Enterprise as well. It's a crazy gamble, but maybe that's the race in the hole. Yeah, this this that scene ends with another like Shelby and Riker butting heads like she's like, well, we should disconnect the saucer section to prevent loss of life. And he's like, listen, we're going to need all the all the engines we've got and there are engines on the saucer section that we might need to plug into this thing and uh she's like well i'd like the captain to make that decision so um so the that scene ends like with you know essentially with her going over riker's head and trying to (laughs) trying to uh trying to get the captain on her side on this issue right there's a little kind of a few quiet scenes here where, you know, Riker and Shelby have a few more conflicts and a classic and important scene where Picard goes down to 10 forward and it's like way after last call kind of time because nobody's in there and Guinan is like hiding in a dark corner and she's like trying to reassure Picard that even if they can't beat the Borgs this time, humanity will survive like there's enough people out there that there will be survivors and it might take hundreds of years, but they can, they can come back from anything. I love this scene. Guinan's motivational speech I thought was fucking garbage though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> She's I was like, like, she says, as long as there's a handful of you left, humanity is going to survive. Like, yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. How many billions of people are constitute humanity? Yeah. I guess you're all going to die, but it's going to be okay in the very, very long term. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, her speech is interrupted by a bang. The Borgs have basically thrown death charges into the nebula at this point, and that's what's that's what's banging the Enterprise right now. Yeah, and the and Worf like calls Picard up to the up to the bridge, and so we've got. Uh, I guess Shelby is down in engineering, but Riker and Worf and Picard are on the bridge and so the enterprise has to has to clear out of there but they've you know they're patched up enough they can limp out of the nebula and give the borgs a little wild goose chase to go on and they're like in hot pursuit when a couple of borgs materialize on the bridge and they just kind of like raise their weird you know instrument arms and start walking toward Picard like zombies or phasers the first one the second one is unfazerable. Like they've already adapted to the to the hand phasers with their personal shielding, and uh, it's like I, I think Riker goes and tries to <laughs> tries to like sucker punch <laughs> this one and uh, gets gets tossed off in the corner. This scene drives me crazy because they've got two randoms at the helm and con. Like, why isn't Data there? Yeah, well, and also there's like a couple of science people in the back that are like just poking away at their fucking computers while this yeah. is going on. <laughs> it's like, guys, major crisis. There's a <laughs> hostile enemy force trying to take the bridge of our ship. Maybe like put the science project down for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy. 
Ladyborg materializes right next to Picard and puts something on the back of his neck and it like it like stuns him. It looks like it feels really good. <laughs> oh, you think he like creamed his jeans a little bit? I know. Looks pretty pleasurable at that exact moment. Yeah. Well, she is a lady. <laughs> you never see it. You never see any old Borgs. They're all kind of like mid thirties, right? Yeah, that is. Well, well, you they see have a, a baby Borg. demo, don't they? The eighteen to thirty-four. <laughs> I mean, like any like any good network of. Oh, uh, we people. did great in the demo once again, Borgs. Yep. <laughs> um. Yeah, you do see you do see baby Borgs. You never see old Borgs. We got to focus group that last assimilation, you guys. Just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic, so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic, hypnotic. So they snatched Picard. Yeah. Riker gets up and dusts himself off. He's like, "Where the fuck is Picard? He's gone." <laughs> Where, where'd Picard go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so with picard on board uh the borg ship turns around and books it yeah we get this very creepy shot of picard kind of like being walked through the borg ship and it's weird because we don't know like to what extent they have control over his mind at this point but he's just mm-hmm. kind of peaceful peaceably walking around with them and then they take him to this kind of like lookout that you see when the Borgs try to get get somebody on FaceTime. It's just like a vast interior shot of the ship mm-hmm. and the pulsing lights explain to him that he is going to become the the voice of the Borgs that they will use in explaining what is happening to the Federation as it is assimilated. It's pretty considerate, right? You, you <laughs> like to see a familiar face help you with a transition of any mm-hmm. kind. And Picard's like, actually, no, uh, I'm not going to help you and fuck you a thousand times. And if you try to make me help you, uh, I'd rather die. Yeah, he gives him double middles. He starts waving him around, you know, crisscrossing his arms in front of his face. And they're like, double middles are irrelevant. <laughs> Resistance is futile. <laughs> fuck you is irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. So that didn't go as planned. Picard's kind of fucked over there. Yeah. Meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, Riker's like, well, we got to figure out a, a way to get him back, right? Can't just leave him over there. When, what do you guys say? We grab a couple of dustbusters, head down to the transporter room, go over to that Borg ship and get our captain back. Let's, let's see. Who's going to be in our cool boarding party? It's got, obviously going to be me. It's going to be, you know, Dr. Data Worf and Shelby is like angling to get on this on this dustbuster club and he's like no you got to be here in command of the ship and troy is like no will like you're you're wrong <laughs> when captain picard is not here you're in command of the ship and it's not cool for you to just go on an adventure to the place that he got captured to try and get him back riker looks at her like what about that moment we just had in 10 Forward? Yeah, what the fuck uh, is wrong with you? How are you doing me like this? Yeah. It's a total double cross. Yeah, he's like, all right, you're right. Shelby, you, you lead the away team. At this point, you can't be sure that Riker isn't hoping that Shelby gets killed over there. <laughs> like, this might be a solution to one of his problems. Yeah. Can we just do a prisoner exchange where I give you Shelby and you give us Picard back? Shelby's much younger. She's a real go-getter. I think you'll really like her. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want with that old man over there? Um, so, so, uh, so they beam over. And, you know, every time you beam over to a Borg ship, it's really intense, but the Borgs don't do anything at first. In some ways, like, Geordi would feel right at home on a ship full of people ignoring him. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's that, about that's right. That's what life is like for him. Yeah, and he tries, like, negging a Borg, and then they, st- <laughs> they all start converging on the spot that he's standing. Nice implants. <laughs> yeah, that looks a little irritating on your skin. Your sister has much better implants, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. How often have you seen this episode? You've probably seen it a dozen times, just like I have. I've seen it a bunch. Um, Did they change the voices 
the group voices for the remaster? Uh, I don't think so. I feel like the voices are different. You mean like when the Borg is talking as a collective? Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Um, I don't think so, but uh, I do feel like the voice is very different in earlier episodes than in later episodes. Like that first one with Q. We have analyzed your defensive capabilities as being unable to withstand us. It's super, super different from this. You will lower your shields and prepare to transport yourself aboard our vessel. I think that they had like gotten an idea, but they hadn't quite nailed what they wanted it to be. Yeah. And so this is a refinement of that. So anyways, on on the ship, there's some like reveals like they discover these dumb upside down pyramid lights that are some kind of node that they <laughs> that they need to knock out to get the board's attention and they start phasering at them and that you know turns the board hostile and that's when they see that uh Picard has been turned. Picard the Borg they do that thing where he's in profile. They see him down the corridor. Yeah. And then, and then as he turns to square up to the camera, you see that he's been implanted. Yeah. So the Borg have outfitted him with some implants. He's got, he's got sort of a face implant. And then, uh, and then he's got some ab implants, like, like Batman abs. They gave <laughs> yeah. him some of those. Yeah, and he's got like a, a, a small amount of shoulder implant at this point. Yeah. You know, at a certain point he's going to be full beyond Thunderdome, but for right now he's kind of in like a a tight-knit black like mock turtleneck sweater and he just has like some light cybernetics affixed yeah. to him. He's going to go through some changes as these two episodes go on, but for now he looks savable. Yeah. And so they they like make a a mad rush, but there's no there's no way cuz the, you know, the personal shielding on the Borgs have adapted to their phasers and there's just nothing they can do. So they call for a, a quick beam out and they uh, they make it back to the ship just in time to get up on the bridge for Locutus to introduce himself. And uh, that is the, the name that the Borgs have rechristened Picard with. And sort of a lot of things hurt about this scene. It hurts to see a character you like disfigured and then there's like an extra knife twist when Lacutus addresses Riker as number one like ah like yeah it's like a, it's like an ex-girlfriend using your pet name on you yeah. like even Whoa. though you're not together anymore like it's uh it hurts oh, don't do that yeah, yeah so so Locutus gets gets on the FaceTime and he's like Theo <laughs> You see, sometimes you have to let a Borg take over your society. (laughs) You see, I've got to shoot you with the phasers and... All they want to do is is put things in the Enterprise's beverages. (laughs) Give us access to your your food and drink replicators. That's all we want. I like an iced tea, Earl Grey hot. Rudy, would you like to enjoy one with me? Nothing's wrong with it, you see. So, the mission to rescue Picard is a failure. The away team beams back to the Enterprise. They obviously need to slow it down to get Picard back, but more than that, like, this ship is heading for Earth, and they're going to have to destroy it. And if they don't, this this Borg ship is going to destroy everyone. Right. I am Locutus aboard. You will respond to my questions. I am Locutus aboard. You are Borg. And so Riker is standing there. He knows that they have this super powerful weapon that's like never even been tried. But the the best guess he has is that it is going to shred the Borg cube. And he has to give the order to fire while... Captain Picard is on board this thing and plugged into it. And so the camera dollies around him, giving him sort of like a half Michael Bay shot. (laughs) And it dollies up into his face. And he says, this shit just got real. (laughs) And in one of the great moments in this show's history, he says one word. Mr. Worf. Fire. 
And then we cut to To Be Continued. And that is the end of the episode and season three. Yeah, and, and now you have to go to, like, summer vacation for fucking three and a half months or whatever and wonder what's going to happen, right? Do you remember how this moment hit you when you saw it the first time? Oh, my God. <laughs> I drove my family crazy because I taped the episode and then I played the very end of it like 20 times in a row. I just rewound it and played it, rewound it and played it, looking for clues. <laughs> like like uh, who shot... Uh, yeah, who shot JR. Or, or who shot Mr. Burns. Yeah. The air date of this episode is June 18th, 1990. The air date of the... Next episode in the series was September 24th, 1990. That was a rough summer. Oh, give me a break. You expect me to have a good summer vacation after that? (laughs) All the kids at summer camp like, "Uh, are you that guy that was called Wesley a couple of summers ago? (laughs) And I'm like, no. (laughs) This whole episode was so intense. Like at about the 18 minute mark the action starts and it's just relentless all the way to the end it's one of the best episodes of the series for sure but maybe one of the best episodes of science fiction television i thought just fucking great and it holds up too totally holds up and and it's also very star trekky like it's it's i mean it's it's action-packed, but in the way that TNG is. Like, it's all about, like, learning about their enemy and learning about each other and... Working together. Yeah, we're working out their interpersonal problems, which are, like, more... There are more interpersonal conflicts on this episode than normal, and... Shelby and Riker fight like no one has ever fought on this show. Right. And I, I maybe we've gotten, we've gotten a little drunk off that in this episode, like... It, it is standard television operating procedure for all characters in a scene to hate each other at all times, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but in 1990, not so much. And on well, this and, show especially. Uh, yeah. When Gene Roddenberry has his thumb on the scale, there's like as little interpersonal conflict as possible. So this is a a rare instance of it. And, you know, I think that there are parts of it that are really compelling. Maybe like they're a little out of practice as a as a group of television professionals making a interpersonal conflict uh, work. Right. Because I felt like there were maybe like one or two too many beats of, okay, Riker and Shelby are butting heads. Yeah. But uh, I I feel like it does pay off uh, in the next episode to some extent. I feel like this episode was so well-paced. I don't know if you do this the way I do, but I kind of clock watch a lot while I'm watching an episode. Mm-hmm. just to see where we are and it is so dense with action yeah we definitely and, like skipped over entire like fully realized scenes in discussing the plot so right there's a lot there it's yeah. a great episode adam amidst all this action i almost missed a indicator light on my control panel uh that says that a priority one message is coming in hopefully it's not from admiral hansen <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Uh, our first priority one message is from Jimi Hendrix. And it's a message for the future. Dun, 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 dun. dun. I'm guessing <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't the recording artist. <laughs> the future. But it could be. Uh, The message goes like this. Before the Enterprise, there was the DeLorean. Before Zephram Cochran, there was Doc Brown. Before Dilithium Crystals, there was Grand Gulf. Before the Time Traveler, there were the Grandsons of Robert. The Grandsons of Robert will be the first Time Travelers to have a beer and throw fireworks with their grandfather again. Rest in peace, Robert Lee. Oh, wow. uh, I thought that that was going to be one of the classic cheeky coded messages uh <laughs> that some of our listeners send in but it, i think that was like a actually like a sincere memorial jumbotron yeah was, it was, there was definitely a lot of it that was in code but right right a code that we'll never understand yeah kind of excited by the idea of uh of of the grandchildren generation being time travelers yeah 
Yeah. Looking forward well, to it. Yeah. Well, uh, hope these kids get to uh, throw the fireworks with Gramps again. Yeah. Enjoy uh, that, you guys. Our next message is also a personal message. It's from Dave and Laura to Steve, Ben, and Drew. And it says, come over to Dave and Laura's house in Seattle to drink and watch TNG on November 19th. Steve, for the viewers, my roommate from college who introduced us to the podcast, will have to fly from Ann Arbor, but it will be worth it because Adam Pranica will be there too. Uh, only we haven't asked him yet. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> oh, you're just finding out about this now, Adam. Wow. I guess that will make this Greatest Chen Gun 2016. The message ends. <laughs> hey. November 19th. Yeah, is your calendar free? Uh, are we let, gonna, me, let me check the calendar. Are we going to get a judgment on this right now? Oh, well, we may edit this out of this ad, Ben, but I'm supposed to be in Portland with you on the 19th. Oh, shit. So I might have to give my uh, my my regrets to this kind invitation, uh, but who knows? Yeah. It's, it's uh, wow, people using the Jumbotron as a way <laughs> to invite us to stuff. First time for everything. Pretty cool. Um, yeah, I uh, I recently got emailed an invite to watch some TNG with some some viewers here in New York, and I uh, had to turn them down. Not because I didn't want to, but just like my dude, my life is completely insane right now. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I think we could get into that at some point. All right, maybe. Let's uh, do it. <laughs> Maybe we get an appearance fee. <laughs> I think that's what a Jumbotron ad is, Ben. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, thanks to uh, to Dave and Laura and Jimi Hendrix for uh, for purchasing Jumbotron ads. Uh, we call them Priority One Messages. If anyone else out there would like to do like they did, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Uh, there's two convenient price points there 100 for the personal message and 200 for the businessman's special so if you have a, a business or something to sell uh, that would be that would be your opportunity to have us sell your good or service for you and and like you know not for nothing but like tens of thousands of episode uh, files get downloaded every week so if you uh, got a jumbotron, like the chances are pretty good that a lot of people would hear it, which could be a great thing or a terrible thing, depending on their feelings about our show. Yep. <laughs> hey Ben, what's that, Adam? Uh, hopefully, your drunk Shimoda was not kidnapped and transported to the Borg ship. <laughs> drunk Shimoda. Well, she was on the Borg ship. My drunk Shimoda is Doctor Crusher. Um. One of the things that they find when they go on their raid to try and recover Picard, their failed raid, is uh, is these pyramidal uh, devices that are on the ceiling everywhere in the Borg ship, mm-hmm. and they're some kind of node or something. <laughs> this is nothing about Gates McFadden's performance, which was fine, was, but the line that that she has when they discover this thing is look at this this is extraordinary (laughs) it's like really like that there would be like connecting pieces in the controls of this technological monstrosity no it's not extraordinary that's a stupid line (laughs) so uh the doctor's like you know sense of bafflement in that moment like how could they have thought to plug all of the things into each other (laughs) she can't stop being a doctor no matter where she is yeah so she got my she got my drunk shimoda how about yourself we should probably say that uh, drunk shimoda is a description we give in every episode that we give to a character who's having the most fun or acting the strangest or something that makes us laugh Mm mm-hmm yeah, if you if you would like the explanation of why that exists, go back to episode two of our podcast, 
try to ignore the fact that we were much worse at making a podcast back then, <laughs> and uh, you'll have your answer. I think people will figure out that we are equally as bad at making podcasts now as we were back then. <laughs> ben, my drunk Shimoda goes to Picard himself. Uh, during one of the battles, one of the two battles with the Borg, and I can't quite remember if it's the one where he gets kidnapped or not, but Picard's in his chair battling cross-legged. <laughs> he's got a cross-legs battle stance as he's, as he's giving orders around the bridge. And that just seemed like the peak of casualness. Yeah, that like, is, that's hubris for you, buddy. Everything is at stake. Nothing they're doing is working. And Picard is sitting on the bridge cross-legged, uh, hitting buttons and flipping switches. So <laughs> I don't get the sense that there's a bunch of physical direction happening on this show. Mm-hmm. But that is a weird choice. Like, as a director, I see an actor doing something like that, and I want to know whether that was intentional or if that was just a thing they let go. <laughs> yeah. Because they shoot it at a low angle. Like, you're sort of at knee height shooting up at Picard, so you see Worf behind him. Yeah. And and his cross-leg battle stance just looks... Dominates it, it looks, the lower part of the frame, yeah. Yeah, it looks wrong. But it, he looks very, very relaxed. And so for that reason... I'm going to give him the drunk Shimoda. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. 
The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode of our show will cover season four, episode one, The Best of Both Worlds, part two. Oh, I'm glad they're going to finish the story. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, well, they promised that it would be continued in the last episode. Sure. Riker must choose between saving Picard and saving humanity when the Borg use the kidnapped captain as part of their plan to destroy Earth. It's a real do-the-needs-of-the-one-outweigh-the-needs-of-the-many type situation. Hmm. wonder what he's going to do. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Sure looked like he's willing to fire on him, though. Like, yeah. I, I feel like that decision's made, right? That's not a spoiler. Yeah. So there's actually a thing on uh, Amazon Video that I discovered when I was uh, looking around for Trek things to waste time with a while ago. Uh, that is a edited together best of both worlds where it's like a essentially released as a TV movie where they take out the suspenseful moment at the middle and just mush the two episodes up together <laughs> i can't imagine that being good yeah i mean here's a great idea let's remove the most tension from the show <laughs> yeah. and just sort of sew it together what who decided that i don't That's know terrible i, I think I, the only thing i can think of is maybe it was like the first thing that got released on hd or something and they like they like you know did a telecine of all the footage and we're like oh i bet we could sell this as like one thing to a lot of people hmm. i'm not watching it that way are you no sure i didn't want to pay 15 dollars for somebody else's mistake you know yeah yeah Jeez, make your own decisions about how you watch this show <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of making decisions our viewers can choose to contribute to the production of our show by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate. They can support our show by doing that, but they can also leave a nice review. They can tell a friend about our show. Mm -hmm. I, feel like, I feel like we're gaining more and more viewers as the weeks go on. It's real exciting. Yeah. We've had a few people like write blog posts about our show. I don't think I've ever seen anybody post about our show on like the Star Trek subreddit or anything. Yeah. I feel like that would be that would be cool. Like uh, I feel like it would be weird if we did it, but it would be really nice if one of our viewers uh, said what they liked about the show and encouraged people to give it a listen. I don't want to seem like just grubbing for listeners, but... Like, you don't having... want to be gauche, do you? No, but like, you know, we're, I definitely think if we keep growing the show, it will help us, you know, in the long term, like justify the amount of blood, sweat and tears we've put into it. And I'm not kidding uh, in saying that it is like all of those things, a lot of work to make this show. Like each episode takes, you know, an hour or an hour and a half to record. And then it can take like six to eight hours to edit. And that's non-trivial from two guys who are uh, also trying to make a living full-time doing something that actually pays pretty good. So <laughs> we appreciate the help, and we appreciate uh, anyone that's out there spreading the word, telling their friends. Uh, it's, it's awesome. What you get when you tell a friend about this show is, is they get absorbed into our growing chatty hilarious community like mm -hmm. you, can, you can talk to us and them on twitter using the hashtag greatest gen there's also a couple yeah. of facebook groups and pages out there and they are hilarious and fun uh we're also on reddit as r slash greatest gen and episode capsules are posted on the maximum fun reddit page as well yeah we should thank dark materia who made our theme music and Adam Ragusia, who makes our Priority One music, uh, both great peeps, and we really appreciate the 
generous contribution of that music. Absolutely. Well, with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that delivers 100% on all the suspense that was built up on this one. Unlike us. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.